The Blevins Franks Report with Rob Kay of Blevins Franks Wealth Management. It's that time on a Sunday morning where we're on Vivian Radio. We talked to a couple of people today from Blevins Franks, a couple of partners. Um, we've got uh, Rob and also we've got Tom a little later. So, how are you doing, Rob? I'm very well, thank you. How are you yourself? I'm doing very well, yes. Time's flying. <laughs> Time's flying already, isn't it? I don't know. Absolutely. Where, I don't know where the time goes. Well, immigration and visas have been a hot topic in France recently. And I know that, and though I know visas are not something Blevins Franks specifically deals with, I also know it's an issue that has financial connotations, which I'd like to explore this morning. But first, what news caught your eye this past week? Well, I would, um, talking to various clients this week, I was, I was surprised to learn that how many are frustrated with the fact that although they have left the UK, lived in France for many, many years, and still carrying British passports, um, they're frustrated at the fact they're unable to vote in UK elections. Their frustration was without doubt heightened by the Brexit referendum in 2016 and the UK's eventual departure in January 2020. Well, on Tuesday, the UK scrapped the 15-year rule, which barred an estimated 3.4 million Brits who have lived overseas for more than 15 consecutive years from voting in UK elections. The change was clearly well received because on Tuesday alone, 6,000 people registered their intention to vote. Now, to actually vote, you must be 18 on the day of the election, be a British citizen, not legally excluded from voting and previously lived and registered to vote in the UK. Having said, those of us who left the UK over 15 years ago can now vote. Even if you were previously registered to vote, you may not be on the electoral register for this year because annual, re- annual renewal has been required or been a requirement for overseas voters up to now. It's therefore a really good idea to check if you are actually registered to vote because registering is more complicated if you've lived outside the UK for more than that magical 15-year period and not registered during that time as an overseas voter. As well as proof of ID, such as a passport, you need to provide, or you will need to provide, documentary proof that that you previously lived in the constituency where you want to vote. Now, that could be uh, supplying them with a British driving licence, even if it's expired, um, an old utility bill, a tax statement, a council tax demand, or, or some land registry documents. Now, from a financial perspective this week, the news was once again full of bullish noises about the prospect of the US Federal Reserve cutting interest rates during this year, despite, that is, US CPI coming in above expectations at 3.4% for December, according to data from the Bureau of Labour Statistics. That was up from November's 3.1% and above the the economist's predictions of 3.2%. Despite this uptick, the markets are still predicting the Fed will cut its rates at its meeting on the 20th of March. Then Christine Lagarde, the European Central Bank President, then fueled the the debate further um, during an interview on Wednesday at the World Economic Forum in Davos by stating the ECB is likely to cut interest rates this summer which will be the first cut since 2016. Markets have priced in potentially six anticipated reductions, with the first move potentially coming as soon as April. Lagarde said that such high anticipation is not helping the central bank's fight against inflation. But short of a major shock, it's likely interest rates have reached a peak. That said, eurozone inflation, just like inflation in America, 
also rose this uh, in back in December to 2.9%. And that reversed a six-month decline. Um, and that's up from a two-year low into uh, of 2.4% in November. The European Central Bank's next meeting is next week on the 25th of January, but markets are not expecting any rate cuts until March at the very earliest. Now, in what was described as a pivotal moment in his presidency, 9 million viewers tuned in to watch President Macron present his plans for his remaining three years in office. The key points Macron highlighted in his two-hour televised press conference was a €2 billion Euro cut in taxes for what he described as France's middle classes. Finding solutions to what has been described as France's medical desert was also another point, as well as the war in the Ukraine, crime, France's plummeting birth rates, improving the French school system, and interestingly, an extension to French national service through mandatory defence and citizenship days. It'll be interesting to see how France's youngest generation reacts to national service now being imposed on them potentially by President Macron. Well, so can you start by giving us an overview of the visa rules? Um, yeah, I mean, as is the case with entry into any country, whether you need a visa or you don't depends on usually three main issues. Your nationality, the purpose of your stay and the length of your stay. European Union citizens, EEA citizens and Swiss citizens enjoy free movement, um, which means they have a legal right to live, work or study here in France. So they don't need a, a visa to move to France and they are not required to register for residency permits. Citizens of non-EU countries, which after Brexit includes UK nationals, must have a valid visa or resident permit to visit or live in France. Now, France is part of the Schengen area, which is the zone of 27 European countries, which operates an open border policy. As there are no internal border controls between those countries, a French visa is essentially a, vi a Schengen visa, and it grants you entry to the whole Schengen zone. So if you have a short-stay Schengen uh, travel visa issued by France, you can travel in all the Schengen countries for the duration of the visa, but it doesn't give you the right to live, work, study or live there permanently. A long-stay French visa allows you to work, study and live in France, but your visits to other Schengen countries are still subject to the terms of a short-stay visa, which is 90 days in any 180-day period. So if you need a visa, what kind of visa do you need? There are three main types of visas available in France. So they are the short-stay short visa, long-stay visas and resident permits. Short-stay visas are, are intended for stays of up to 90 days and they allow you to travel within France and, as I said before, the Schengen area. Most visitors to France don't need to apply for a visa. You'll be issued with a visa on arrival, which is stamped in your passport, as the name suggests, as you arrive. Long-stay visas are intended for stays of three months to one year and allow you to live in France for that period. Depending on the terms of the visa that is issued, it may also allow you to work, study or conduct business in France. All non-EU expatriates who want to seek residency must first acquire a long-stay visa. Once you have your long-stay visa, you can then apply for a carte de séjour, which allows you to live in France permanently, which also means you become a French tax resident. Once you have a carte of residence, it's, uh, it's been and been resident sorry, for, in France for more than five years, you can then choose to apply, if you wish to, for French nationality 
or for dual nationality. Has Europe asked many Brits to leave? <laughs> yeah, interesting question, Howard. According according to Eurosat, the UK, the the Eurobloc, um, plus the other Schengen zone countries, ordered about fifteen hundred British nationals to leave um, in the last year in two thousand twenty three. About uh, one thousand two hundred were actually deported from the EU, so that's British nationals. Those members might sound those those numbers might sound quite scary. So I think we need to put that into a little more context. During the same period, and I'm not discriminating here, over 12,000 Indian nationals were ordered to leave the EU. Since January 2020, the end of the transition period, about 4,000 Brits have been ordered to leave Europe. Most were due to residency or visa issues, but some were people who had committed quite serious crimes. Last year, Holland and Sweden issued the largest number of deportation orders, um, and France demanded about 120 British citizens leave. Germany, on the other hand, asked about 15 to go, but Spain initially and Italy didn't order any British nationals to leave their respective territories during 2023. Overall, more than 350,000 non-EU citizens were ordered to leave the EU last year, and the largest number, over 100,000, were issued by, you guessed it, France. I should emphasise this was all non-EU nationals, not UK nationals. On the flip side, statistics published by INSEE last year highlighted the fact that over 185,000 titres de séjour residence permits were issued to British nationals during the Brexit transition period, which I suppose means that many of us are not the only Anglais in the village. Well, turning to Tom, how are you, Tom? I'm very well, thanks. How about you, Howard? I'm very well. Nice to catch up again. Absolutely. Well, second homeowners might be able to spend more time in France. Can you explain? Yes, uh, this is something we've had a lot of inquiries about because it potentially represents quite a significant change. In December, the French Parliament voted through an amendment to Macron's new immigration bill. And part of that amendment states that British nationals who own a second home in France will automatically be entitled to visas, allowing them to stay here for up to six months without interruption. Now, this sounds like a major improvement for Brits who want to spend more time in France, because some of those people up to now have been confined to the 90-day rule, whereby they are permitted to only spend 90 days here within a 180-day ruling period. So on the face of it, I think it's welcome news as it could simplify the visa process for a lot of people. However, there's still quite a way to go. First, a decree needs to be published to explain how it will work in practice, and then it needs to be validated by the Conseil d'État. The senator who proposed this part of the amendment is hopeful that some progress will be made on these matters later this year, but ultimately nothing is yet confirmed. So I think for those people who are eager to spend more time in France and who are feeling constrained by the 90-day rule, my suggestion would be to carry on going down the long-stay visa route and think about becoming a tax resident. Now, Blevins Franks are not visa experts. Listeners should, should really speak to, with somebody like Tracy Leonetti, whose details you'll find on the Riviera Radio website. But Blevins Franks can certainly help when it comes to showing the effect of French residency on your tax situation. If we obtained a five-year residency permit before Brexit, what do we need to consider when our renewal comes around? Yes, uh, this is a very timely question because, if you remember, lots of Brits applied four years ago in 2020 
what is commonly known as the WARP, or WARP, the Withdrawal Agreement Residence Permit. And it's a very valuable permit to have because it protects all the resident rights that the holder had before Brexit was implemented. Most of these were issued in 2021 and will come up for renewal in 2026. Now, what is absolutely critical for those people wanting to renew is that they have completed their tax obligations well in advance. We already know from having liaised with some of the prefectures around France that this will be one of the criteria for renewal. Also, being a fiscal resident was one of the conditions in the online declaration that people completed in order to obtain the permit in the first place. In recent months, we've spoken with some people who have the permit but haven't yet declared themselves as French resident, either because they're not spending enough time here or simply through inertia because they're not aware of what to do next. People in both of these situations run a risk because ultimately they are not abiding by the terms of the permit. So the best case scenario is that they will simply be refused their renewal. But there is the possibility for the French immigration authorities to refuse future visa applications or re-entry into France if they believe a previous residence permit or a visa was obtained illegitimately. In the absolute worst case scenario, if it deems that false information was provided deliberately, the French government reserves the right to impose a penalty of €30,000 and two years in prison. So it really can become quite serious. Having said that, I think that some Brits obtained the five-year residency permit simply without realising their obligations, and in some cases the local prefectures even encouraged them to apply. And there may be some legitimate reasons as, as to why they have not yet been able to formalise their French tax residency. But if so, these reasons really need to be properly documented and communicated. People in this situation have an opportunity now in 2024 to get their house in order before the renewal date comes around. And by taking the initiative on the matter now, before anybody else interrogates it, they can ensure that they are in control of the situation. Fortunately, this is an area where Blevins Franks is well positioned to help. So if this affects any listeners, they shouldn't hesitate to get in touch. Excellent. If we are not French tax residents, are there any advantages to becoming resident? Yes, I think a lot of people have this preconception of France as being a high-tax jurisdiction. And while that might be true for people working in France, it isn't normally true for people who are retired or who receive their income from outside of France. In those cases, the regime here in France is often more favourable than that of the UK. For example, uh, a married couple can enjoy an income of up to around €57,000 and the highest rate of marginal tax will only be 11%. One of the benefits of French residency is, of course, being able to access the French health system. We all hope that we can go through life with as little medical intervention as possible, but in reality, at some point, we will need to rely on medical care, and one great advantage of the French health system is that it is among the best in the world. Some Brits, notably those who are of UK state pension age, or those that still retain some sort of employment or self-employment in the UK, will be entitled to a special form known as the S1, which not only grants them free access to the French health system, but it also gives them a full or partial exemption from French social charges, depending on their income situation. Now, the French taxation of inheritance or succession is another area that can compare favourably with the UK. Consider that in the UK we have a flat rate of 40% inheritance tax, whereas in France the rates for children to inherit from their 
parents uh, are progressive, starting at just 5% and gradually rising to 45%. Depending on your situation, there are also ways of structuring your, your assets to ensure that a much higher tax-free element can pass to your beneficiaries as a French resident than if you were to remain as a UK resident. Another point to note is that the rate of capital gains tax in France, with the help of the S1 form that I mentioned a moment ago, can be 20.3% inclusive of social charges, which is not significantly different from the rate of 20% that normally applies in the UK. So anyone thinking of selling a business or shares might not find themselves disadvantaged in coming to France. Similarly, selling a UK property can actually be more tax efficient as a French resident, which I think can sometimes come as a pleasant surprise to the people that we speak to. In general, people shouldn't be reluctant about exploring the option of French tax residency, because very often for our clients, it is favourable. So, Rob, have people moved to France for the reasons that Tom described? Yeah, in my experience, the big question most people who dream about moving to another country ask is, can I afford to live wherever it is I want to live? Frequently, the answer to that question heavily influences where that person is able to live. Now, over the years, Blevins Franks has attended hundreds of, of moving abroad type shows all around the UK. These events or those events are really, they're really, really popular and they, they can be the first step to, on somebody's journey into, is it possible? These days, that journey is quickly dominated by the visa process, which unfortunately can divert attention away from the financials. Only early this week, I met a lady who, because of Brexit, decided to switch her life around and she bought a French property, not as a holiday home, but as a main home, and she made a UK property her second home. As we described earlier, this allows her unfettered access to being in France for as much time as she wants, and she can then return to the UK for visits whenever she wants. In essence, switching things around that gives her the same freedom that she employed as she employed she she enjoyed as an EU national before the UK and its population voted, as she described it, to leave the European Union. This lady contacted me through a referral from another client, and as a result, we've identified areas in her finances, which Tom just touched on, where she can make tremendous tax savings. We'll be able to reduce her, the tax on her income by over €10,000 a year, which increases her spendable income by over 25%. She can now sell her UK property and not pay the capital gains tax she thought she would. The inheritance tax her kids will eventually pay will now be over €200,000 less than what they would have paid if she'd remained a UK resident. As you can imagine, for the reasons I've just summarised, this lady was bowled over by being introduced to Blevins Franks and the final tick in the box came when she learned how she could only pay tax on 30% of her UK pension and stop paying the French pension social charge completely. These are just a few examples of the really positive financial changes you can make to your finances by simply, as Tom said, becoming French tax resident and re-engineering your financial arrangements for life in France. It's very interesting. 2024 could be a big year for pensions. Is this a reason to move to France? Yeah, at first glance, when, when, French, when French expressions such as plus value and impost sur le revenu are translated into English, it's easy to assume they are one and the same. How different can capital gains tax and the income tax be either side of a 22-mile strip of sea? The answer is completely, and that certainly extends to pensions. Regular listeners will know, if you move to France, unless you have a UK government pension, your UK pensions are then taxed in France, which opens up some interesting opportunities. 
Last year, the UK government announced the abolition of the lifetime allowance, which was an additional tax which was paid on pension funds which exceeded a specific amount. A UK general election must happen during the next 12 months and Labour, who are widely tipped to win, have already announced that they will reintroduce the lifetime allowance. And a paper that was circulated only earlier this month said it won't be reintroduced at a level it was when it was abolished, which was a million and seventy-three thousand euros. It will be reintroduced at just eight hundred thousand euros. At the moment, the UK allows you to withdraw all the money in your UK pension, and if you're a French tax resident, you could end up just paying seven and a half percent tax. A UK tax resident with a pension fund of fifty thousand pound would pay at least forty percent tax if that fund. Uh, if it was in cash in the UK, and if that fund was worth over £150,000, your tax rate would be 45%. However, that could all change come April. If the overseas transfer charge is introduced, as, it been, as it's been widely shared with UK financial intermediaries, for many, many reasons, 2004 will be a big year for UK pensions. That is especially the case for French residents who still have UK pensions. It might sound a bit dramatic, but 2024 could be a watershed moment for pensions which you don't want to miss or be financially harmed by. So if you've been putting off reviewing your pension arrangements or the bigger picture of your overall strategic financial planning, do yourself and your finances a favour and contact Levins Franks. Our telephone number in France is 0493-001780. That's 0493 001780. If our Monaco office is more convenient for you, you can call our Monaco office, and the number here in Monaco is 97775574. That's 97775574. And as we say every week, if you'd like to know more about Blevins Franks, or if it's easier to contact us via their website, the address is very simply www.blevinsfranks.com. Many thanks for all. We'll talk again next Sunday. Okay, thanks very much, Howard. Have a great week. The Blevins Franks Report. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed in this program, contact your local Blevins Franks office on 0493001780 or Riviera at BlevinsFranks.com. It's time to review your financial planning for 2024. Are you paying too much tax on your investment income? What does retaining UK assets mean for tax? Are your savings protected from inflation? Will the UK pension reforms affect you? Will your estate planning achieve your wishes? Blevins Franks specialises in holistic financial planning and can help with all these concerns and more. Contact Blevins Franks today for a consultation. Visit blevinsfranks.com.